You're listening to episode 280 with Ben Angel. Ben is followed by over almost half a million people writing best-selling game-changing books in the fields of business, personal development, and health. He's a VIP contributor to Entrepreneur Magazine, and his latest book, Unstoppable, is an international bestseller, introduces a brand new approach to stress, depression, fatigue, procrastination, focus based on neuroscience, psychology, and biohacking. Doctors, psychiatrists, nutritionists, athletes, former NFL players, New York Times bestselling authors all praise his work. I am such a big fan of everything that Ben preaches and he is a real up-and-comer in changing the way that people in the self-development and entrepreneurship industries think. While you're listening to this, if anything sticks out to you as thought-provoking or interesting, feel free to take a screenshot, write down what you heard, and share it on social media, share it via email, text it to your mom, do whatever it takes to get the information out there. And without further ado, episode 280 with Ben Andrew. So Ben, the first question that I always start off to ask my guests is how do you spend your time here on planet Earth? <laughs> that's a that's a really good one. Um I would say lately the last couple of years is doing a lot of research and also creating. I'm very much a creative type. I used to do metal sculpture when I was a teenager growing mm-hmm. up on the cattle farm. I'd take the rusty wire and put it together. But my creativity now is more through video production, the docu-series that we've been producing, and also writing books. And I mm. I just love that headspace that you can kind of get into when you get into the zone and you just drop into it. You do lose mm. all sense of time. So that, that's one of my favorite things to do on this planet. I love that, man. And I think that's uh, that's like a state of flow. And, um, you know, it's, it's often mentioned that that's really where uh, – where happiness lies, you know, because it's like, even, you know, one thing I'm noticing is like, you know, even if you've got a ton of money, even if you have a ton of achievements, even if you you're doing awesome stuff, you have a ton of accomplishments, but you're not, you know, setting up the right parameters in your environment to make that state of flow possible. I mean, more often than not, unless it just happens naturally, then I don't really think happiness um, exists. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I'm um, curious to hear your take. I, I, I agree with that. And especially when it comes to a state of flow, I think people need to realize that you need to train yourself to be in a state of flow. I think when mm. when we look back, you know, 20 years ago when we didn't have the pervasiveness of social media, we were able to drop into that state of flow easily because we weren't constantly distracted that 24 hours out of the day. But what people need to understand is that social media is retraining our brain to constantly be distracted and to mm. also not perform deep and meaningful work. And mm. it's important to be able to not just switch it off, but also train your mind. And you can do that through new devices such as the Muse, which is a meditation mm. headband, where it actually gives you audio feedback if you get distracted. So you actually get that biofeedback to say, hey, no, you're actually distracted right now. Let's quiet your mind and let's do that part again. 
Mm. And many people just expect that you're going to sit down at a desk and automatically you're going to drop into the zone, but that's not the case. (laughs) There are many tactics to drop into that state for sure. If we have time, I'd definitely love to talk about that. And uh, and just a little one more note on this uh, on this topic. You know, I um, you know, I love social media, but I also agree with what you said of like, you know, we're not living in a world where every single person, for the most part, has a smartphone. Everybody has it in their pocket, and it's like you know, when you're talking about that ubiquitous of a tool that's also super super powerful, we sort of need to learn how to to use it. And a, a big like negative of social media that I think is like, you know, in those moments where you maybe feel some kind of discomfort or you feel um, not necessarily discomfort, but maybe you feel bored. And it's like, that doesn't really happen anymore because the second you get any kind of free time or bored time, a lot of us just like check quickly what's on our phones and we end up like getting sucked into this wormhole. But for me, I think it's super important to, just find areas where you're doing nothing, like where you're, you might supposed to be bored because I often find you might come up with a lot of ideas, but if you're constantly conditioning your brain to just always look and and that and this and that, like you said, it's like, it's training us to be distracted and not being able to have a single focus that, like you said, like sort of time goes away, your sense of self disappears and you're just super engaged with that activity and get deep work done. So um, that's beautiful. It's really hard for people to drop into that flow state if their brain is constantly being trained to look at the notification or to look at, because they're constantly bored, they're constantly looking for that engagement for that dopamine hit. And people should look at their social media behavior and then look at what is their state of flow during the workday. And I've found even in the last week, I have to catch myself every now and then because just like you, a lot of my work is on social media. And the, the last week I noticed I started getting distracted throughout the day. I wasn't able to get into that particular state. So kind of had to switch things off, do some meditation, start that daily practice as well as visualizations so I can get back into that state of flow without constantly worrying about the next big thing I have to work on. There's always something else to work on. There's always going to be something. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Definitely, man. I'm so happy you said that. And so, you know, I I, Ben, I think it would be really great if, um, you know, we just heard a little bit about your story from, you know, like the beginnings, like when you look at early on in your life, anything that really maybe influenced you or impacted you to get on this path. And I know you had, um, you know, quite the, uh, the, the switch up later on in your life that ultimately got you on this. Um, so I'd love it if we could start there. Yeah. So I originally grew up on a cattle farm in country South Australia, which many people look at me and go, no, you didn't. But <laughs> I definitely did. And I got to say, it was one of the best upbringings that a person could ever have. Just the authentic nature, having having to work through major issues. Our farm at one point went through over seven years of drought, zero rain. So there was zero income. So we had to be very savvy from day one. And I think that's instilled certain values in me, especially going into the business field. But it was, I think, in my early 20s that I started delving into the field of self-help. And I focused on that Mm. for many years. I was working in marketing, social media. And then Mm. it wasn't until March 2017 that things took a really big turn for the worse where I traveled overseas around the US and Canada for three months, my first real holiday as an adult. And I got back to Australia 
And all of a sudden, within a week, I was experiencing severe depression, fatigue, Hmm. headaches. Um, I was still trying all of the self-help strategies that I'd written about in previous books. I was listening to podcasts. Hmm. I was doing meditations and visualizations. Hmm. I was having one cheap meal a week. I was on the strictest meal plan you could ever imagine, but my symptoms kept Hmm. getting worse. And that was when I got to a point where I actually approached Entrepreneur Magazine with the thought behind that is that what I'm doing right now isn't working. So yeah, mm-hmm. how do I reverse engineer this process? Because when we look at all the peak performers, we always look at their psychology, but we never look at the underlying biology and biochemistry that supports that psychology. Mm. So I started, like, when we talk about reverse engineering the process, I actually thought, well, everyone's asking, how do you become a peak performer? I'm like, well, Mm. how would you undo a peak performer? (laughs) Let's work backwards Mm. because we may get different Mm. answers. And that's when I started looking at certain triggers such as nutritional deficiencies that can mimic psychological disorders um, such as anxiety and depression, even panic attacks, toxins, food sensitivities. So if you were to expose any peak performer to say, for example, even antibiotics and a severe gut change, that could impact Mm. their brain health. And Mm. I really did get to a point where I became frustrated with the self-help industry, which I've been a huge part of for many years, speaking at countless events in Australia on the topic. But when we look at the self-help industry, most of the time they're misdiagnosing excuses, procrastination, depression, as poor attitude when we peel back the curtain and you look at the biological side of things you start to look at all of these other factors that could be triggering those behavioral changes that you can't change just by changing your psychology if Mm. if you're depressed you can't suddenly get up and start thinking positively if your brain chemistry is out of whack it's just It's just not possible. And it causes a lot of people a lot of distress when they're looking at the gurus yelling at them to quit making excuses. And they're just not able to get into that state, but they don't understand why. So a lot of what I have been doing has been pushing back against the self-help industry by Mm. saying that this whole equation, it's two sides of the one coin. One is psychology and one is biology and one's, neither side exists without the other side. So how about we take a more comprehensive approach to peak performance and mental health overall? Dang. Uh, man, I want to <laughs> – so much you said there. Um, you know, one thing that comes off to mind is, uh, you know, you have this quote and it's – I saw it a while ago and it was, you know, quit making excuses – is the worst possible advice you could ever give or receive. It's a simplistic response to a complex problem. It's time we stopped misleading people. And um, and I couldn't agree more with you, Ben. I actually um, I didn't I didn't know what self help or or any of this stuff was um, until it got to a point where I was uh, like two hundred pounds and I was also uh, depressed and uh, and suicidal, but I wasn't actually aware that that was the problem. Mm. And so I sort of started my journey with like, you know, the shallow objective of like, I'm going to try to lose weight. And like on that journey, that's when I really discovered nutrition. I discovered uh, Dave Asprey and Bulletproof. 
And once I felt like my brain had turned on for the first time in my life because I'd shifted my diet and began to do all these new things, then I felt like that's when I that's that's what actually led me to self help and discovering all these things and and being um, my true self. But I mean, I'd love to hear like so when 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 you came down with that depression and you went to uh, Entrepreneur Magazine and uh, by the way, we've had on uh, the editor in chief. Uh, chief jason pfeiffer on oh, awesome. i'm curious like what did you what did you end up like discovering what did you get more curious about how did that sort of path unfold well that was a fascinating path because when i actually pitched the book idea to them i, I had to be honest i said look i'm gonna go on this 90 day mission to biohack myself back to health i actually don't know what the final chapter is about or if i'm gonna get any answers <laughs> <laughs> and I, right. i'm thinking that's got to be the biggest turnoff a publisher could ever have but they kind of jumped to the project but i think the biggest thing that i uncovered is that we spend too much time focusing purely on the psychology side of things but we don't look at the underlying causes that influence those behavioral changes and even something as simple and i've written case studies about it in the book um if someone has an antibiotic for example and i'm not totally antibiotics but i think they should be provided ensuring that there's a certain criteria met afterwards to ensure someone's rebuilding their gut health after someone takes it but with an antibiotic for example it actually takes a scorched earth approach to our gut bacteria good and bad and we've seen cases with many people, they've had an antibiotic and then suddenly months later, they're either depressed or they've suddenly gained mm. a lot of weight and they can't mm. work out why. And if you're to go to the traditional health and dietary advice, they, they could be eating the healthiest meal on the planet, but because their gut bacteria isn't actually processing and absorbing those nutrients from it, it's going to have little effect. And we need to delve deeper into the research and look at the multitude of other factors that can influence these changes. So the biggest lesson out of this whole project for me is that's a couple of things. It's let's focus some more on biology, but also tie it back to psychology and how the two work in tandem. And the second thing mm. is life is not a controlled experiment. <laughs> Mm, it's right. the, despite how much I tried to control every experiment in the book, it just doesn't always unfold like that. Like my partner and I got stranded in Vancouver for five weeks due to visa issues trying to re-enter the US. So it's even though everything was planned up with a multitude of interviews, everything kind of turned on its head. And sometimes you can't, simply can't control these life events. You may have to do something that could do some harm to you later. But if you know it could potentially do harm, then you can take steps to mitigate that. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, I would, so like, you know, I, one thing I'm always doing as a, as I'm, you know, been a podcast host for uh, for a little bit is I'm always trying to like imagine based on like the feedback and the data that I've gotten through all the years from my audience of like, how is somebody uh, hearing this? And I think probably a larger point of the population of, of who listens to this podcast, they definitely understand what you're saying. But what I would try to say is like, how do you, for like a complete beginner who isn't even in um, like deep into self-help that just sort of has like a shallow understanding of 
you know, kind of what you said of like, it's an attitude problem. It's, you're making too many excuses. How does somebody sort of begin to take a step back and just look at the big picture and then take one step forward that they can, yeah. if possible? Yeah, absolutely. So with the book, it was important for me to put a framework around it because I found a lot of the biohacking and health advice and self-help strategies they sit and operate in their own separate silos, but they're not necessarily combined as one cohesive approach. So what we actually did is we surveyed over 21,000 people and the survey is still up online. It's a free quiz on our site. But mm-hmm. what I looked at after interviewing neuroscientists, doctors, biohackers, clinical social workers, is it all came down to me was very much controlling our energy levels throughout the day. And Mm. what I've done in the book to help people understand it is to think of it like this with our mobile phone device. When we charge it overnight in the morning, it's good to go. It's fully charged. We can play video Mm. games. We can watch videos, make phone calls, use Messenger, whatever we want to do. But as the day goes on, it gets to a point where the battery becomes depleted. And in most phones these days, it has an automatic power saving mode on, which will dull the light of the device it will start turning Mm. off background tasks so you can only do a little bit on it to preserve whatever Mm. whatever energy is left now we're no different to our mobile phone device as (laughs) as the day goes on and we may experience decision fatigue in the afternoon our own energy levels start to dip And what I found in interviewing the experts is that, especially speaking with a clinical psychologist, a clinical social worker, sorry, is that she wouldn't see patients at certain times of the day because they couldn't process the psychological work that needed to be done because their brain Mm. didn't have the energy at the time to do that heavy lifting. But if they had that same session in the morning, it was highly effective. So in the book, we look at it as in a battery. So a battery, it's zero to 100% charged. And I've defined it into four different identity types. So say, for example, someone has 75 to 100% energy, they're pretty much fully charged. We call these people catalysts. They're the true Mm. peak performers. Their psychology is on track as well as their biology and their energy. Now, in this survey of over 21,500 people, only 6.7% of people actually identified as a catalyst. So a very small portion of the population. Under this, we have 50 to 75% charge, which we call synergists. Now, synergists Hmm. could be on the verge of becoming a catalyst, a peak performer, but they still have fluctuations in energy throughout the day. There's minor tweaking to be done in this instance. Below that, we have 25 to 50%. They're the guardians. And below that, we have 0 to 25% who are the defenders. Now, anyone under the 50% threshold for bare minimum for peak performance, just like our mobile phone device turns on power-saving mode, our primal brain turns on self-preservation mode. So self-preservation mode is where the primal brain literally has to say, we have to prioritize vital bodily functions over your ambitious goals Mm. because there isn't enough energy for both. And Mm. the best way to describe that to people is imagine you drive up to a T-junction You want to make a right turn because that's where your goals and that's where your soul's purpose is. 
But when self-preservation mode comes on, it's actually forcing you to turn left to make a pit stop to rest and recover. So people drive up to this T-junction and they feel like two completely different people in conflict with one another. One part of them desperately wants to reach their goals and feel good. The other part of them says, no, shut up, sit down, get your ass on the couch because you don't have the energy to make any of those goals happen. And by explaining this to people, people finally get and go, all right, well, at the moment, moment I'm a guardian. I need to rest, recover, reboot myself, and then I can eventually make that right, that right turn when I have the energy to do so. Right, right, 100%. And it's, it's you know, as somebody who's, um, who's lived their life uh, very early on diagnosed with uh, autoimmune disorders, not really having any kind of energy, being medicated, uh, I 100% understand what it is exactly you're saying and it's like i almost i almost think of it as like a a a prison like you want to do these things but you literally can't and i never knew anything about biochemistry or physiology or any of this stuff and so what happens is like you're going through this and if you don't have the awareness that this is actually has to do with like, you know, the trillions of bacteria that are in your body, you know, the way that your cells are operating and all that stuff, you're, you're literally going to view it as like a moral failing. Like yeah. you're going to view it as there is a major problem with you for whatever reason. And you don't know, and it's tied to your identity. Like that is so crazy. And I'm trying to speak in more and more and more about that, man. So I, I love what you're saying. Yeah. And I think when it comes back to you brought up a critical point was the awareness When someone is in self-preservation mode, they've literally left their prefrontal cortex, which is in control of emotional control, rational thinking, and personality. So when you go into the primal mind, the fight or flight function, there is very little self-awareness happening in that state. Mm. And we have a very high expectation of depressed individuals to say, why aren't you aware of this stuff? Well, the reality is their brain isn't in a state in which they can be supremely aware. Right. Which is why we really need to have more compassion for people who go through this. And that's why I really push back against this BS notion where we're telling people to quit making excuses and toughen up because that doesn't reflect the reality. It doesn't reflect the science. I grew up, like I said, on a farm. I grew up in that culture. Is it effective mm. at some stages? Yes. If you're, if you're mm. a catalyst and you have that mental energy and the physical energy, Self-help work is going to work incredibly well for you. But if you're below that 50% threshold, the self-help work may help a little bit, but your brain may not be able to do the psychological work it needs to to get the outcome. And there was one incredible case study I write about, which is a clinical social worker friend of mine. She had a patient who was suicidal on and off for over five years. She'd been working with this particular patient. And this patient one day happened to have a vitamin D test to see if she was deficient. Well, the test result came back saying that she had minute traces of vitamin D in her system, which is linked to depression, uh, apathy, lethargy. Within two weeks of supplementing, the psychological changes just started happening on their own. 
the psychological work wasn't even being focused on at that point in time. It was simply because her brain didn't have the right chemistry to do the psychological work. Now, that's not to say everyone has a vitamin D deficiency, although a large percentage of the population do, Mm. Um, but it's to say let's look at some of these simple things that people are impacted by globally to see how we can actually shift behaviour through that as well and tackle it from both sides. Mm, mm. Absolutely. And I think think another big factor... um, that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, this concept of our world is now global. Yeah. And so my parents, they immigrated to America from Egypt. And it's like, you look at Egypt, you know, that, that culture and society set up in a certain way. And there's also a ton of sun over there. (laughs) And all of a sudden you move to Boston, Massachusetts, uh, east coast of America, which, you know, it's sunny during the summertime, but there's a ton of rain and, and snow and all those things. And it's like, I've got to think that that's got to be some kind of factor when, you know, you, you think about vitamin D and how, you know, our, our system gets it from the sun and, and other kinds of sources too. But, you know, I, I often find that, um, you know, with a lot of this kind of stuff in terms of like food and, and supplementing, a lot of people don't really, uh, a lot of people don't really know what to start or like no. they'll start to look into some kind of science and they're like, oh my God, this is so complicated. You know, I'm looking at this one website that says, you know, you should eat, uh, you know, I don't know, a ton of kale and eggs, but every time I eat kale, I get super bloated and I don't know what to listen to. And so I'm curious, like, is there, is there any kind of like a flashlight? Is there any kind of like uh, indicator that somebody can sort of begin to follow to find the right kinds of, whether it's diet or, or supplements that are uniquely good for them? Yeah, there, there's a couple of ways to look at it. Number one, what I uncovered doing the research for the project is that there is no diet that fits everyone. It it yep. just simply doesn't exist. And I was hoping for one, but I couldn't. After everything I'd learned and the research I went through, I'm like, no, <laughs> it's, it, we just can't work like that. We have to look mm-hmm. at personalization. So the, the very first step, if people are really struggling with depression, anxiety, panic, panic attacks, or even fatigue, I would say go to a functional doctor. They take a more comprehensive approach than a typical GP mm-hmm. and will spend a lot more time with you. Have blood panels done, check for any nutritional deficiencies, especially magnesium as well, which is highly useful for brain health, Um, vitamin Ds, Bs, as well as any hormonal changes and fluctuations that individual could be experiencing. Because any of the symptoms from any levels that are out of whack with those could mimic the psychological disorders. Um, One other point that I need to make is when you're actually getting these tests done, I've met so many people in the last year since releasing the book is that they go to the doctor, the normal, the results always come back as normal. The doctor says, you're fine. Everything's good. And I started questioning, I'm like, well, how are these normal ranges actually defined? Who, who, what's the demographic that they base them on? Speaking to a doctor about this, I uncovered that it's the typical male, the typical medical guinea pig is a 31-year-old white male with around 70 kilograms. Now, if we look at our general population, when you factor in ethnicity, age, 
weight. You have all of these other factors. So when your doctor comes back with a normal test result, you have to ask them, am I, the, am I at the high end or the low end of this normal range? If you're at the normal, if you're at the low end of the normal range, which the doctor won't tell you unless you typically ask, then there may be preventative steps that you should take. If you're at the high end, verging on above normal, then you could also be experiencing symptoms. So even if you're within the normal range of the bottom end, because it's based on that typical medical guinea pig, you could already be experiencing symptoms from it, but your doctor may not be picking them up because of mm. that particular demographic. Now, when it comes to diet specifically, I think the things to look for and We've got this biohacking journal coming out at the end of this year. And one of the questions it asks on a daily mm. basis is, how's your digestion today? Because mm. if you are eating healthy foods or if you're eating bad foods, if you are experiencing bloating, fatigue, headaches, or migraines, mm. then it could be the food and there could be a food sensitivity to it. Now, one of the biggest food sensitivities that I believe goes misdiagnosed quite a lot is a sensitivity to caffeine. Now, mm. there was one story in the book which just blew my mind, which is the story of Ruth Wallen. Ruth Wallen was in institutionalized for 40 years with bipolar, schizophrenia, OCD, ADHD, panic attacks, Wow. And it wasn't until a doctor came along and uncovered that she was not just sensitive to caffeine, but actually allergic to it. So wow. the caffeine was mimicking the symptoms of schizophrenia, and it, which is insane when you think about something Damn. that is so widely consumed by the population and we're complaining about anxiety and obviously not you know, not every instance of anxiety could be blamed on caffeine. There's also psychological right. traumas, of course. But what happens in someone who's sensitive to caffeine is that it builds up in the bloodstream and it increases dopamine, which increases, mm. which is ultimately the feel-good neurotransmitter. But high levels of dopamine have been linked to psychosis and schizophrenia. Mm. And 100%. there are Russian doctors that have been able to cure schizophrenia when getting their patients to undergo a 30-day fast. And mm. sometimes when we talk about the symptoms that we're experiencing, it could be something as simple as what you're drinking first thing in the morning <laughs> and how, you, how your body is processing it. And when it comes to the diet, Food sensitivities are a big one and there is much more research that's about to be done in this particular area. I personally uncovered that coconut oil or coconut in general is a trigger for depression. It makes me feel extremely tired to the point I have to have three to four naps a day and I actually feel angry, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not typically an angry person. But by taking a food sensitivity test, it actually pointed something out to me that I just, I thought was healthy. My nutritionist told me it was healthy. So I was trying to be good. I was consuming it. And ultimately I uncovered that was one of many factors that were exacerbating the issues. So when it comes to the yeah. personalization of a diet, you know, first of all, get your blood panels done. So you're not taking any supplements unnecessarily. 
Second of all, you may want to do a food sensitivity test to see if you do have gut health issues. It could be a sensitivity. And third, get your gut bacteria in order because if that's not in order, then you're not going to absorb the nutrients from that. And as we know, a ton of research is coming out every single week around the gut-brain connection. Definitely, definitely. I heard this quote the other day and it was, uh, you are not what you eat. You are what you digest. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so, so important. And like, you know, crazy part about that is what you said about caffeine. So I, um, so I did one of those tests and it told me that I'm not allergic to caffeine, but I have a much faster caffeine metabolism uh. than other people. And so for me, what I've noticed is if I drink coffee, that's just like black, um, I will feel, you know, some sort of um, like micro symptoms of just being anxious. Yep. Um, and I, I'm especially like, a, I'm just somebody who drinks things fast, which I know <laughs> I need to work on. Uh, but like you combine that and it's like, man, I'm going to all of a sudden have energy for like 30 minutes and then I'm going to like freak out a little bit. And then I'm going to sort of crash and, uh, and, and not um, really kind of have any of that energy and just sort of like, you know, kind of like almost like a mini hangover, almost of the sorts, uh, but with caffeine. Yeah. And, and another thing. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. And there, there are people who have these genetic predispositions, such as you, you're a fast metabolizer. I'm a slow metabolizer. So it will sit in my mm. system for hours and cause havoc. So I have to like manage how much I have. And I don't have it through coffee anymore. I typically have it through a tea. But I am supremely mm. aware now of the teas in America are a hell of a lot stronger than the teas in Australia. It's like drinking two <laughs> cups of coffee over here, which oh is God. just insane. But sorry, back back to your point. Yeah, and and what I was gonna say is like when I um when I discovered bulletproof coffee and the idea that if you can put in these different fats like grass fed butter and MCT oil, you slowly um you slow that absorption down. Uh, so that's been massive, massive for me. Has helped me a lot. Another thing about what you said about digestion. So this is fascinating. So last year, um. You know, maybe for like the last few years of, or a couple of years rather, I've been pursuing like a really, you know, serious healthy diet recently. And what I noticed is one day I was I was eating lunch like I always do. I was eating some kind of a like a salad that had um, spinach and arugula and different things, and I had a piece of uh, grilled salmon on top of there. And I noticed right after I ate it, uh, my my stomach just started screaming. And I started, you know, not like horrible, horrible pains, but enough pain for me to notice. And I've never really had that ever since I've gone on this health journey. And so I was like, wait, what, what is going on here? I'm still eating the same food. This is like the same thing that I eat for lunch all the time. And I ended up getting um, a gut microbiome test ah. through uh, Viome. And basically what they told me was a lot of the food that I was eating wasn't being absorbed because I had different kinds of digestive issues. My stomach, uh, it wasn't acidic enough. Yep. Um, and so they gave me some recommendations on how I, I could improve that. And they also told me that I wasn't digesting because I had high levels of this, this chemical called phytic acid. And phytic acid, from my, from what I understand, is like this chemical that's naturally found in a lot of... Um, nuts, seeds, uh, grains, things along those lines. And for some kind of people, 
if you eat too much of those or if your body doesn't know how to break it down, what'll happen is that'll completely slow down or even stop your digestion. So it's like I was eating all these healthy foods, but I also had a ton of phytic acid that prevented me. And on top of that, I also found out that uh, I'm a very poor uh, processor of of oxalates. Um, So those, from what I understand, those are really high in spinach. Those are really high in things like almonds. And so that was a big part of it. And ever since going on that, I mean, I haven't had any kind of problems with my digestion. And, um, and, and I think this, this stuff is so cool for us to realize because it's like, you know, you become aware of something, you start to get curious about it. You might write it down in a, in a journal or not. And you start to take steps and whether that's through, you know, you go through a functional doctor or you do, you know, other kinds of tests uh, on your own or through another kind of laboratory and you sort of start to, to begin. And it's like, for me, when I stopped having those issues, all of a sudden, uh, I ha- I was able to focus in the middle of the day without having to drink, you know, tea or anything like that. All of a sudden, I was able to kind of have more energy throughout the day. And it's like, like going back to what you said, it's like a lot of this biology chemistry stuff is what ends up sort of propping up these foundations that we view as, whether it's psychology or, or mindset or whatever it is. I posted the other day on LinkedIn and I said, um, you know, mindset is overrated. Yeah. Uh, trying to, you know, repeat positive things to yourself, you know, that can be good. But if they're not set on the foundations, then then that's true. And and the foundations that I listed on, but I think I'm going to have to change them. I broadly listed them as um, psychology, physiology, which is where I think I was talking a little bit about this chemistry and whatnot, mindset, spirituality, and just how you view yourself as sort of a bigger identity to the world and to your community. Um, but dude, I, uh, I, I love that. I, yeah. I love that. And I would urge people to go on this journey too. Yeah. And it's interesting when it comes to digestion, one of the reasons you would have had better energy is that because your stomach isn't constantly trying to process food that it's not set up to process. And the digestive system mm. takes up a massive amount of energy. And that's one of the questions that we ask people in the 30-part questionnaire online is, have, do you have digestive issues, either constipation, diarrhea, or do you have low stomach acid? And what many people tend to do is if they suddenly get bloated, they'll automatically reach for an antacid when in fact it Mm. could actually be low stomach acid that is more likely the problem. And there there are HCL supplements which increase the acid, which you take before a heavy meal, especially protein. But there are also digestive enzymes that you can purchase, which will help you break down that food after that meal. So if people are having issues with their digestion, see if they can actually make the connection to their psychology. Is it impacting their psychology in a significant way? Because I know when I'm bloated that the day is kind of out the window. It's brain fog, potentially headaches. You have to sleep depending on what you've consumed. But coming back to the gut microbiome, I found this area absolutely fascinating. There was mm-hmm. I did a test through Thrive Gut Health where it took the, you send the fecal samples, super sexy, thankfully it's Mm. tiny. (laughs) They send it off to the the (laughs) laboratories and they come back with the dashboard and I found I had very low levels of bacteroids. 
Now, a study came out after I published the book, which is annoying, (laughs) but it was only the start of this year, but it found that they're starting to link depression in people with low bacteroids. And there are also psychobiotics that are coming out of China. I'm speaking with a company at the minute who plan to bring them to the US where they've found a particular strain of lactobacillus is actually helping children with autism. And they're seeing results in depressed individuals as well because we've got to understand these this gut microbiome weighs as heavy as your brain. It's like another limb. It's like an arm. And we have to understand it more and understand how it's impacting our behavior. And we've seen examples in the last few years where fecal samples have been given to individuals that have been overweight from a healthy person. Suddenly the overweight person has lost weight or they gained weight depending on who the, um, the donor was of that particular sample. So we need to really understand that a healthy diet isn't just about the foods you eat, it's about how your body is processing it. And second of all, we also need to be acutely aware of nutritional deficiencies. There have been studies coming out, especially in Canada, where they found that the magnesium and the other mineral contents within specific vegetables have been continually dropping over the last Mm. years. So our grandparents eating food 50 years ago, they could have eaten everything that they needed and have met all of those nutritional demands. But now we're Mm. consuming the food and different types of food, but because of farming practices and the industrialization of this practice, we're not getting the nutrition that we need. So I challenge Mm. anyone that says that you just need a well-balanced diet and that's it, that you don't need to take supplements. That is not the case. Our environment has changed and our thinking needs to. Mm. That's such a that's such a great point. And, you know, I think, um, you know, honestly, man, I agree with everything you said. And, and, and you know, when I get invited to do like talks uh, that are usually more based around like self-improvement and, and mental health, I always start off with um, with with sort of this broad physiology. Because, you know, it's one thing to be able to say to somebody, you know, do better, think better, have more energy, whatever. But like we said, like the common theme of this podcast is it's always about those underlying foundations. And if you don't address those, then what you're saying doesn't actually matter to that person. And I think it's so important specifically today because of that reason you mentioned of whether it's our soil or whether it's our environment or or pollution or toxins or all these other things that are very new that are going on, it emphasizes the point even more and more. And I look at today, a lot of kids, just like me, have had have, excuse me, autoimmune issues, whether it's asthma or whether it's some kind of learning disability like ADD. And learning more about the microbiome, nutrition. Uh, our biochemistry, getting the right kinds of tests done by the right kind of doctor. This is so, so important because you can really change somebody's um, life around. And uh, and supplementation, you know, I, I always viewed it as sort of like 
uh, 90% is diet, 10% is, is supplementation. Um, but I'm, I definitely need to get more sort of refined with my own <laughs> supplements and trying to figure out what exactly I should and, and should not be taking for sure. So that's definitely an area that I'm like about to, uh, to hot, to head into like deep because I'm not really a hundred percent aware of that area. I take a few different kinds of supplements, but it's like, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, if they're like the right kind or if I'm taking too much, maybe I need to stop. Um, so there's a lot of things I need to work on too. Yeah. Man. Well, one thing I want to double back, you mentioned you had asthma, which is something yeah. that I've struggled with my entire adult life. And asthma is actually a really good example of a biological function that can change our psychology and cause anxiety because the, the, stop and, the second we start struggling for air is automatically when that fight or flight response triggers and we go for the Ventolin or I'm not sure what you call it here in the US. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the inhaler. But what I've also found is I was also able to track back that during summertime when hay fever season was high in Australia, my depression increased and I linked it back to the side effect from the medication because I was taking more medication than usual. Now, the funny thing after doing all of this project, all of this research and tests, supplementation and removing the food sensitivities, I have not had one puff of Ventolin for actually mm. almost two years. It'll be two years coming up here at the end of November. And what I I accidentally biohacked this. This wasn't on purpose. <laughs> but removing those other triggers, especially dietary triggers, I simply haven't needed to it. And I was a chronic asthma sufferer. I had to get run to the hospital as a child mm. as a child. And I vividly remember waking up in the middle of the night desperately gasping for air and just not being able to breathe. So when we start to fix these other issues, you find that other some some other areas start to resolve themselves. And especially around mm. side effects from medications, Ventolin's an interesting one that oh, yeah. with chronic use of an inhaler, the steroid, it can actually decrease mm. testosterone in men by up to 22%. Now, oh, wow. a 22% reduction is quite a large reduction. I find it fascinating that the study said just 22%. Like, <laughs> hold on. For, crazy. If, if you're a 40 or a 50 year old male, your testosterone is typically already on the decline. You want to take another 22% off of that. That's insane. That's going to cause a whole host of symptoms, especially around psychological disorders and depression and fatigue. Mm. Now I do encourage one of the steps that we have in the program is I get everybody to do a timeline of when they first started experiencing these symptoms. And I ask a question, did you suddenly introduce some medication what are the side effects of that medication did you take a course of antibiotics did you introduce new foods to your diet let's rule out all of these other factors that we don't typically look at now i'm not saying stop taking your medication but you should be going to a functional doctor to say hey i'm on this medication can you please look at my lab results maybe there's a better option for me and Everly Well, the company in the US that does the food sensitivity testing, they have countless testimonials from people who have corrected hormonal issues, uh, depression, gut health issues, simply by removing certain foods from their diet. 
So, mm. you know, it comes back to that whole process, two sides of the same coin. Let's make sure that we cover both of them. But with the supplementation, always, always the first step is to go to the doctor. If there's any nutritional deficiencies, correct them. If you want to start playing with nootropics, for example, which are either natural nootropics or pharmaceutical ones, I focus on the natural ones. The One of my mm. top recommendations is L-tyrosine. And L-tyrosine hmm. helped oh. me. Have you tried this one before? Yeah, I yeah. have actually. I tried it for a short while. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite ones. And I was accidentally introduced to it by a natural or naturopath back in Australia and it helped me clear some of the brain fog during the day so I could start troubleshooting this and what it does Mm. is it's a non-essential amino acid that's critical for cognitive function so it can preserve mental capacity when one is experiencing physical hardship and it's also been shown to increase dopamine which is obviously the key neurotransmitter but dopamine also Mm. helps to control the flow of information from various regions of the brain So if you want to help get yourself into that flow-like state, typically I'll take L-tyrosine, have a tea, and I might also combine it with L-theanine, which is another favorite one of mine. Yeah. So that's another amino acid. Now it's found in black and green tea, although higher doses in supplement form, it's found to be safe. But what it does is it relaxes without sedation and it improves attention while performing those demanding cognitive tasks. And one fascinating thing with this is they actually found that it improves relaxation via alpha brain waves within 30 minutes of consumption. So it's actually changing your brainwave state, which is critical to that state of flow. Oh man. Dude, I need to I need to revisit uh uh, uh, L-tyrosine. I visited it very early on in my journey uh, because it sort of um, what you said of like nootropics, they also really helped me just sort of take one step to be able to get some sort of clarity from my brain to be able to, to think about these things. So I really, um, I really love that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ben, I could, we could probably sit here and, and chat for hours. I'm an absolute nerd on this stuff too. I think it's so fascinating. And I'm trying to push this so much because I'm so passionate about mental health. And it's so important to understand that mental health is not like this, this thing that's separated. It's, no. it's part of this vast interconnected system with our body and our, and our biochemistry and all these different things, man. And I think after all of my experimentation and all the amazing people I've had the chance to interview, I honestly don't think uh, something has as much ability to change somebody's life than getting clarity on what you should and should not be eating um, and, and just starting that off as a foundation. Um, and I think it's so important for, for mental health, let alone physical health. And um, Ben, one of the last questions that I have my guests do here. Um, is leave the audience with a self-inquisitive question, a question they can ask themselves, or and a some kind of a, a simple exercise, nothing complex that somebody could just start taking action on and doing right after listening to this podcast. Okay, so I got two. <laughs> so I've got the awesome. The first one is dial this back to the basics. Keep a food journal write down any fluctuations in your energy and mood on a daily basis 
and write down what you're actually eating and see if you can tie back these mood changes or behavioral changes to what you're eating. If it's none of those things, great. I always say rule it out or rule it in. Uh, the, the question that I want people to really ask themselves, especially when it comes to mental health, is, is it your psychology that's to blame for your current mental state? Or is it, in fact, an environmental trigger that's causing the behavior mm. change? Because if it's an environmental trigger, then you need to stop blaming yourself right now for thinking that you're potentially mm. weak, that you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, and just quit comparing yourself to other people. Our biochemistry is as unique as a fingerprint, as is everybody listening to this. So mm. dial it back to the basics. And when you start asking that question, and I ask that question on a daily basis to say, all right, have I primed my mind for success today? Have I done a visualization mm. exercise to really give my brain a roadmap for what has to happen throughout the course of my day? If, if I have done that, then that's great. There's a psychological side looked after. But if I'm still feeling fatigued or scattered, then it's a biological issue that I've got to uncover. And it could be something as simple as too much caffeine. I didn't take my supplements. I slept poorly. Bring it back to those basics. And when you do, you suddenly start to take that psychological pressure off yourself and start to look at this objectively. Mm, mm, mm. And it's so, so important because, you know, you've touched on this a lot, but the key piece, a big piece of life is, is identity. And, and a big part yes. of that is just framing it and understanding it. Um, so Ben, we will have all the, the links down below to where people can check out your book, check out that assessment. But is there anything like particular specific that you would want people to check out right now? Yeah, if they head over to areyouunstoppable.com, they can actually take the success type identity quiz, mm. which is they're going to it's going to ask you 30 questions, takes about 60 seconds, but it's going to put you into one of those different identity types, catalyst, synergist, guardian or defender, and it's going to give you a comprehensive breakdown as to what the issues are the mental state as well as your biological health as well as recommendations for certain supplements that you may like to try, um, as well as wearable technology that could help alleviate anxiety and stress too. It's a really comprehensive report. It took a long time to pull it together, but we're pretty proud of it. Like I said, we've had over, well over 21,000 people take it and we've had another 1,000 people take it in the last three days alone. But it, it's helping people put the pieces of the puzzle of psychology and biology together. Hmm. Absolutely. And I, I, I could, Ben, I could not recommend your work more uh, to people. And in this space of self-help and bio, not biohacking, I think you're like the perfect bridge for that, man. So I'm going to be recommending your book and uh, we definitely got to chat again. But thank you, everyone out there for listening. This has been your host, Mark Metry. Damn, you made it till the end of the podcast. That's really rare in the age of digital distraction. This really means the world to me. I really hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my website, Mark Metry, 
or message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. My name is Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned in this episode, and I'll be sure to get in touch with you. And if you really, really love the podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left me a review. It helps way more than you know. Let's get this Humans 2.0 grassroots movement going. Woo! Get out there and do something impactful today.